Yo, 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 Thought Warriors! What is up? Our learning is on. It is Ivan Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. Rachel. What? How was your weekend? Chill. You didn't do anything? All I did was chill at that. I mean, Saturday, I was completely lazy. I All I did was walk the dogs. And I just was on the couch. I, I couldn't move. I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to be a bum all day and chill out and do nothing. I went to dinner with a girlfriend. And that was fun because I hadn't seen her in a while. Who? Um, her name's Crystal. Shout out to Crystal. And then um, I went to dinner on what was yesterday, Sunday. Did you represent Wu? Excuse me? You said you walked the dogs. Did you walk these dogs and represent Wu? Okay. No. Never heard. No, I get where you're going with it. I did not. Watch these rap niggas get. No. I did French not. vanilla butter, pecan chocolate, even caramel sundae. Yeah. Does anybody know that song that I'm, that I'm rapping right now? That's Raekwon. Okay, Don. Well, I mean, I could have said somebody in Wu-Tang. Okay, but do you know the song? <laughs> Wu-Tang in the cut. For real niggas, what? It's the after party. I just want to fuck. <laughs> oh. Okay, Copper and Brownie were not doing that. Yes, they were. <laughs> you like the Wu-Tang Clan? I mean, I'm not as familiar with their music. Donnie, you like the Wu-Tang Clan? I do. I do. I don't know a ton of the deep cuts like that either, but... Um, that's not a deep uh, cut. That's, it's not. It would be... That's see, that I've never heard that's of That's ice cream. That's not a deep right. cut. I'm just saying, it's the the 36 Chambers. I know that album, like, clockwork. But uh, the offshoots, the one-offs, the solo projects, I'm trying to say, not that well-versed in. Yeah, I, the songs I hear, I like. Ha-ha, <laughs> cream. That's well, what you like. Sure. Triumph. You like that? Hmm. You like you like Triumph? I don't know. it. Yes, you do. You know <laughs> that one. Y'all know Triumph. We're not we're not doing a Wu-Tang okay. forever. We're not, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the song? Is that in the song? Yeah, we're not like doing it. We're not doing a trivia on Wu-Tang. It's, we're not doing a Wu-Tang trivia. I've just been listening to the Wu-Tang clan all weekend. It's some of the greatest rap music ever fucking made. So that's what you did this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Always dinner last night with Anne-Marie. Grant Firm with uh, Game of Life standing firm. Transform it to the Ghost Rider. Perpendicular to the square. <laughs> 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 Wu-Tang is crazy, man. <laughs> it really is crazy. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang is some of the greatest music ever made. I was listening to the Wu-Tang, listening to the Purple Tape. Everything. 36 Chambers. Calm down. Calm down. What did you do this weekend other than listen to Wu-Tang? Watch college football all day. Did you? I Saturday. did not. Because my team wasn't playing and I was like, you know what? I'm not. You. I keep trying to Every week we get on this podcast and I keep trying to tell you that you're not a real college football fan. Every week. I'm not a fan to the level you are. I right. like college football. Every I'll week. watch. Colorado played on Friday, so I didn't really watch Saturday. Did you see the Colorado game? Mm-hmm. And I I caught the second half of it. But Oh, I'm, Jesus Christ. The yeah. Armageddon. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like, I'm a fan of college football, but I'm not a fanatic, I guess. Like, you, I thought, you know what? My team's not really playing on Saturday that I'm interested in. I'm just going to chill. I finished Suits. That's what I did. Oh, Suits. I finished it. The whole thing. Colorado suffered the worst loss of the entire college football season on Friday. 
One yeah, of the worst losses won. I've ever they seen. They should have won that. Yeah, it's bad, terrible loss. It's a terrible loss. Yeah, look, we have to call it like they have some great wins. That's a terrible loss. No, they shouldn't have lost that game at all. Um, I didn't even watch the the post game press conference. What did Dion say? What did Shador say? What was Dion? Like, what is his response to that? It's like one thing when you're like, we got our butts kicked against Oregon. It's another thing when you're up by so much. And then they then Stanford has this huge comeback and you lose the way that you do in that last play um, with your son. Reading. Here's the thing about Dion. When I see Dion talk, it makes me feel really judgmental about a lot of the politicians that I see in Washington. Okay. Dion expresses himself, turns an event, gets his messaging out so clearly, so concisely, and with so much force, power, and charisma that I just wonder why can't the people that talk for a living do this? You would have thought that after that press conference that Dion would have in some way been like, I don't know, at a loss for words, like he wouldn't have had anything. He contextualized the game perfectly. He addressed what happened perfectly. He was clearly disappointed. But looking at the press conference, you're like, I still believe in that guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I, mean? I would hope that people aren't completely turning against Colorado that's because a bad of a loss. Because that's, that's the type of loss, honestly, that separates the bandwagoners from the people that are in it for the. For the so long you think haul. that this is it for them? I, you think that people have jumped off the bandwagon? There's is what definitely I say. some people that jumped off the bandwagon right. there. So it's actually a good thing for Colorado in the long term because they have a program to build and they don't want to be a flash in the pan. So it's good now to be able to see who's going to be there while they experience some bumps and bruises and who was just there while the goddamn baby was performing. And I and I actually like that too. Not that I'm rooting for anybody to lose, but if they were to come in and they were just to win out or maybe have one loss, I think, I don't know, it just, I don't know if it's a better story that I feel or just the fact that they're obviously a team that is rebuilding that program and to come in and just win it out doesn't necessarily show that. I think that if they there's it's normal for them to be losing right now. I mean, talk about the hype or whatever you want, but the fact that they are rebuilding this program, losses are a part of that. Of course. And so I think that as we see them lose, even if it's in a devastating way, they can go back to the drawing board. There's more work to be done. And the story the next season, I think, will be even greater when they show what they went from here to here. Yeah, they got a lot of stuff to do, a uh, team to build. And by the way, not just from a player personnel aspect, that game was poorly coached, particularly in the, se- in the second half of the game. He's going to say he's always going to take the blame. He's always going to be like, we need to That's be better. Fun. We need to prepare our players better. Um, but. Even in that issue, right? In that in that whole deal, in, in that in that scheme of things in terms of coaching, you can see that there's an adjustment period for him and his staff in the way they're gonna get their players ready and in the way that they're gonna make adjustments on the fly 
when things start to go bad. There were some substitution penalties in the second half. There was an inability to adjust to what Stanford was doing. Clearly. But all of that stuff, they'll learn as well as a staff. Everybody's learning. Let me tell you something else about what you just said. It's very true what you just said. If there's one thing that the internet has done, social media has done, it has, hmm, it's giving losing a bad name. Social media has given losing a bad name. Losing is living. You got to lose. Sure. You have to lose. Everybody is so afraid to take an L. Everybody is so afraid to do the wrong thing, to to say the wrong thing, to lose money in an investment, to have a show flop, to have a movie flop, to have a song flop, to do all of these things. We're in this perpetual state of winning. You got to win every time. We hold these people up that never lose. They're consummate winners. And winning is very important. Sure. But life is much more about losing than it is about winning. It's about losing, understanding, learning, changing, growing. Like the entire person of who you are, the entire fiber of being that exists inside of human beings is to get fucked up, heal, and then grow. That's what the whole thing is. All the little scars that we have around our eyebrows as black kids. So what happened to you? I ran to the coffee table. (laughs) I ran to the coffee table. I ran to the coffee table. And then guess what I learned? To slow my motherfucking ass down. And this scar is a reminder. This scar right here in the middle of my my head. Did I ever tell you what happened? No. I like Superman. Okay. Where's this going? (laughs) Superman. This scar right here in the middle of my head. Yeah. I like Superman. Okay. And so one day I was like, you know what? I have X-ray. Part of the Justice League. Fuck, I'm talking about Growth. Rich. Growth. Because I took an L the last time. Because you took an L. Come on. Come on. Because you took an L. Yes. And then now look at Rach. Knows the Justice League. Continue. <laughs> I got emotional just then when you did that. <laughs> so I am, I'm like three or four years old. Spain Street, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Right near Baton Rouge High. And I'm like, I have x-ray vision. So I used to take a tile and put it around my neck, mm-hmm. and then that would be a cape. So I was like, I can see through this cape. And when I would put the tile over my head, I could see through it a little bit because, you know, the light was coming through the tile and okay. the tile was kind of ratty. We didn't have great tiles. So I'm like, I could see. I have x-ray vision. Boom, boom, boom. And then I walked down the stairs. Walked down the steps, fell, cracked the middle of my head open. Oof. And I just remember my mom seeing it and just Done. They took me to the hospital, stitched me up, right? Um, and I remember sometime after that, my mother took the stitches out with like a comb when she was... Mm. They didn't take me back to the doctor to take the stitches out. My mother was like... Taking it out like with like a rat tail comb, like you do with braids. Like with a rat tail <laughs> comb. And some, she, just took, she just took the stitches out of my head. I was like, I don't know if you can do that. Uh, but like, I learned the value of pain in that moment. I'll never forget it. As a three-year-old? As a three or four-year-old kid, I just remember smack, blood. And everybody's reaction was 
everybody freaked out so much that I remembered, hey, I'm precious. Like, they're trying to protect me. This hurts really badly. Mm -hmm. So why don't you watch what it is that you're doing? It's a life lesson that I could have learned much more drastically by doing something much more dangerous. I say all this to say, there's so many people I talk to, I don't want to take an L. I don't want to take an L. I don't want to take an L. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be this. Because we've internalized all of these opinions about us from people that don't really matter. And we think that that's something that holds actual weight. The thing that holds the most weight is losing, learning, and growing. I want everybody not to be afraid of losing. I get it. I mean, I still also get the desire to not want to take a nail. I I don't think that it's wrong for you to feel embarrassed about situations, but know that that's not the end-all, be-all. There's something on the other side of it. It shouldn't stop you from doing something. You should quit in that moment. You should use it as an experience to keep going. So basically what you're saying is social media is not realistic. There are certain expectations that social media puts on us that we think that we have to have. And and I mean, like that goes, that's even more widespread than that, than losing and winning. It's also like, you have to drive this car. You have to look like this. You have to have these type of friends. You have to live in this type of place. You have to listen to this. You have to watch this. There's so many pressures that social media puts on us that aren't realistic. Be you and listen to the woo. (laughs) Listen Listen to to the the Wu-Tang Clan, man. I wonder what kind of hip hop you you know, what, what was your experience with hip? You ever heard that song, I Dare You? I dare you well, uh, to come against me. No. I dare you But you have to, to understand, me. which I've said multiple times, I don't even know we couldn't even listen to stuff. But when we did, it was, there was, a, it was a lot of Southern rap. My extension of East Coast was just Biggie. West Coast, Tupac. Mm. Everything else growing up was Southern music, which is why... Um, it's Black Rob. Yeah, but like really a lot of Louisiana music. You know, there's a huge huge latex. That's what they call it. Connection. Latex. Louisiana, Texas. That's what y'all call it. Because we don't call it that. Well, I don't even think Texas calls it. I'm getting that term because I remember when my sister went to Spelman and, and, you know, like they did things with Spelman Morehouse. That's what they would call it. They would throw latex parties. I don't think that that's (laughs) what they were doing. I think they told you that it was some Louisiana, Texas stuff. I think there was something else going on. Maybe both. Maybe a little bit of both. Boom, boom, boom at Spelman. And Morehouse. Don't just put that on the ladies. Look, who threw the latex party? I think it was a combination. I bet it was. (laughs) That's so funny that you bought that. They I was having, 15. Right. They're having latex parties at Spelman. Well, they did they, have those parties. And they told you that it was for Louisiana and Texas music when really the latex parties was about yeah. something completely different. They were trying to stock. But they was, you know, we know how it goes down in the in the AU in Atlanta. We know how it goes down. Get on the phone. <laughs> She knows better. Get her on the phone. She knows better. She's going to pick up? No, she's not. She knows she doesn't want to be on the podcast? She doesn't want to talk about the latex Constance? part? This is... Constance this is not my being oh, on the yeah. podcast. Constance doesn't care. All right, she's not picking up. All right, well, TBD on the latex part. Let's, go, let's Google that, latex. I swear. I'm telling you. Oh, by the way, there are other latex parties that were going on with people wearing latex to parties 
them freaky BDSM type of situation. And by the way, Constance has said freaky shit on the podcast before. Don't be talking about my sister. Remember, she, she was the yes, one with the rim Yes, I job. remember. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all some freaks in the Lindsay house. That's crazy. Don't put that on us. Look at this. The latex party tickets, June 27, 2023. See, this is a real thing. This was in LA. What's the, what does oh, it say? Oh, but I think this was like LA. But back then it was LA for Louisiana. Not I don't LA. know, man. I don't know. Latex party. Squeeze into latex. A hot new party happening in your city. You know, uh, there's nothing. Latex crawfish Fascinating fascinating fashionistas. Yes, some kinksters. A bunch of, uh, this is on DonnaMatrix.com. A latex fashion fashion blog. It's okay to be. Johnny, have you heard of latex parties? I bet he has. Uh, uh, Yeah, but but the kind that Van is talking about. Not the king Boom, in your mouth. See, look, here's the deal. It's okay. That's something else I want people to understand. <laughs> no. Before we get into what we're doing, it's okay to be a freak. It's okay to be a We know freaky how you feel about that. Dog, and we've, man. we've moved on. You've really, it's been a while since you went down that road about the road of like, it's okay to be a freak. Yeah. So let's just not. But I don't understand why people always say Van's weird about sex. Van is weird about. I'm not weird. I don't I'm think open. you're weird. I'm open. I think that you're just too, um, What's the word? It's just too in your face. I don't need all the details of it. What's there to be ashamed of? Well, when though? you start, when you like start talking about like certain, I don't want to visualize certain things. It's not that sex is wrong mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's just the way you talk about it. It's like, stop. So I want to ask you a question before we get into it then. There's a teacher that was fired or she was forced to resign because they found her OnlyFans. This has happened multiple times, right? I know. But this teacher is one, and she looks like it was probably fire. She was a teacher by day, OnlyFans by night. Mm -hmm. They found the OnlyFans. They got rid of her. Your thoughts? Hold on. Constance. What? You're on the podcast. Look, you thought I was going to tell you something juicy. You're all, you're <laughs> what? You're on the podcast. Please explain to Van what the latex parties were in college. Oh, they were a Louisiana, Texas corporation. We used to do the invite using a condom. In your mouth. Thank you, Constance. Thank you, Constance. You do With the invite using it. I said they were Louisiana, Texas parties. And Van was like, that's what you think. I can't believe that. There was something freaky going on. It was, and I'm like, it was probably both. No, it was just great marketing and everybody would come. Yeah. I bet everybody did come. Okay. I bet everybody came left and right all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet they did. That was the purpose of the party. Both he and Donnie are like, we've never heard of latex parties. And I'm like, it was the thing I remember as a kid. You would talk about it all the time. 99, 2000 music. Yes. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Constance. We're going to do a whole segment and you have to let us know the freak shit that went down in Atlanta when you were there because I know it was going down. Freak Nick stuff was over at that point. I'm not so. talking about Freak Nick. He I'm talking freak about shit. Freak shit <laughs> that was happening in the AU. We know it was going down. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you go. Don't tell on yourself. Bye. Bye. <laughs> See? See? All right. Teacher, OnlyFans, your thoughts okay. real quick. Pay teachers more. Oh. I mean, it's the truth. 
I've I've seen this. I don't know if this particular story, but the only reason the teacher was doing the OnlyFans, if this is who I think it was, she was also doing it with her husband. The only reason she was doing it is because she doesn't get paid enough as a teacher and it was a great way for her to make more money. And I think a parent saw it or maybe a kid. I don't know if it was a parent or kid. Parent, that's a whole different story. I What did I say about the substitute teacher? She had a tweet, right? About the heavy dick. Yeah, she had a tweet. I look at this a little different and people are going to say I'm a hypocrite. I look at this different because teachers, the cost, I'm not the cost, what they're paying teachers does not account for inflation and the right and everything that's happening. Teachers, we, we know how important teachers are. I use my platform a lot to talk about education and the fact that they don't get paid what they should get paid is ridiculous. And so if this teacher on her free time wants to make an OnlyFans to to supplement her income, maybe so she can provide some resources to her classroom, maybe just to be able to pay the bills, maybe so she can continue in the teaching profession when there has been this mass exodus of teachers leaving the profession because they're not getting paid enough. Hmm. I support it. There you go. I know you support it. (laughs) I think it should be mandatory. If you were still on OnlyFans, you probably would have just subscribed to support. I think it should be mandatory. I think you, as a teacher, you should have to have an OnlyFans. As long as, I think there was one teacher who was using her classroom. That's, you can't do that. You got to do it away from school. You got to do it away. I think there was a story where once she was using the class, doing stuff in the Mm. classroom. Mm. That's a bit, that's crossing the line. Mm. That's an interesting role play situation. You're nasty. You're nasty. You know, Hey, you know, you're, I'm a teacher down the hall. My name is Mr. Simons. Uh, my class is out for recess. Oh, Mr. Simons, you come in here. And I, that's my office hours are wide open. <laughs> Go over there. Anyway. All right. Well, that's the end of the fun, guys. So I hope you guys have fun and with pleasantries. I hope you guys listen to Black Rob. I dare you. I forgot about that song. I hope you guys listen to Wu-Tang Clan because we have to jump into the world now and things aren't fun. On the other side is break the big deal of the day. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay. Um, the entire world is stressed. Um, culturally, geopolitically. Uh, souls are stressed. Friendships yeah. are being put to the test right now. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of conversations with a lot of people who I respect and love. Mm-hmm. Some of these conversations over the past week were not so easy. Yeah, Some of them were about expectations that they have of me. Some of them were about expectations I have of them. Mm-hmm. And some of them were about different ways that we view the world. Right. And the impetus for these conversations has been uh, what's going on right now in Israel and Gaza. Um, I think a lot of people are using this, not using it, they're looking at it as a watershed moment in their relationships, both business and personally, uh, with people that they know. I don't think that's unfair to say. Have you experienced the same oh, thing? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Been having since since all of this particular conflict war started. 
countless conversations. So even with strangers, even with strangers on social media, in my DMs, in my comments, um, trying to have certain conversations, you know, responses from the podcast that we've done, um, posting on social media, not posting on social media. I've been trying to have these conversations, not just to express my viewpoint, but also to try to have a better understanding of where people are coming from. And it's been tough and it's been really divisive. Mm. Have you dealt with it? In what way? Like what, a mental health your, way or? What, no, no, no. How have you, first of all, before we get into this, what we're going through stateside as non-Jewish or Palestinian people and talking to our friends and navigating this is nothing compared to what people who are directly connected to the conflict and certainly nothing Correct. compared to what people in Israel and Gaza are going through right now, uh, particularly the people in Gaza who are about to uh, endure some of the worst times that that area has ever seen. Okay. But... Already enduring. Already enduring. But it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's particularly going to get worse if the international community doesn't uh, take into account international law, what it means to collectively punish people for things that they had nothing to do with, and the particular um, opportunity for a humanitarian disaster, the likes of which we haven't seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're not in any way equating. No. What's happening here to what's happening there. Having said that, tensions are running high here. Tensions are running high. And I'm asking, how do you approach conversations with people that might be demanding you say something, demanding you take a specific stance, demanding you be activated in a certain way? For anybody out there that's listening to us right now that doesn't know quite how to have those conversations, that feels a little helpless in them, is there anything particular that you would say? Well, first, in response to like what we talked about in our last podcast, my initial approach to the conversation, people that I know, even people that I don't know, I try to be empathetic and understanding of what, of how it personally, I don't know exactly what they're going through, but I acknowledge the pat, the emotion, the passion, the, the heartbreak, the devastation of what's particularly happening to their communities in this moment. So my initial thing that I say is, you know, like I'm, I'm here. How can I help you? How can I support you? Um, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. Like I send out those messages to my Jewish friends, um, Palestinian people that I know, even the strangers that are on both sides of it. That's how I originally say it. And I try to open it up for conversation. Usually that will lead to someone saying how they feel or talking about it. And I listen. I listen first. And then I approach it to see how the rest of the conversation goes, whether that's before I give my thoughts and opinions, I wait to see if they really want to hear it. I don't really want it to become combative in a back and forth. And I'm saying, you know, talking about it from what I believe versus what they believe. I really try to listen and be understanding. But naturally, especially people I'm close to, the conversation goes there of talking about, you know, 
the Israeli Jewish side of it, then talking about the Palestinian side of it, talking about the history of it. And most of my conversations haven't been bad, but they've been divisive. Mm. I And so I, I just feel like the best way my approach has been to acknowledge, to say that I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm supporting you, I'm there for you, and I'm and to listen, and then to talk from there. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I mean, I think people know where I stand on this. Like, I had a particular conversation with a friend of mine that I used to work with at, at TMZ, and we had talked about this years ago, mm-hmm. right? And so people know where I stand on this, and it's important for me in moments like this to be able to understand the emotional component of it and also be able to understand the political and geopolitical component of it. Because what informs me, what informs me with my thoughts and the way that I look at the world is the desire to see everyone free, represented, and happy. And if we're being honest, policies of various governments around the world, particular the Israeli government, have stopped that for large groups of people. The question is, when is it appropriate to contextualize that that entire thing in Mm -hmm. a conversation? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say something, and the reality is about now. And I'll tell you why. Because war is inherently political. You can't get around it. War isn't revenge. It shouldn't be revenge. War should be for a stated purpose, a stated mission, um, with a stated and understood set of facts that equal mission accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And those things are almost always going to be political. So Israel and Hamas are at war. So there's going to be a humanitarian uh, fallout from that war. There's going to be a political fallout from that war. And there are political and cultural precursors to that war. And so as we discuss that, we have to discuss it in those terms. Yes. And anybody that's willing or wanting to have that conversation has to have that conversation in an honest way. Now, if it's something that you don't want to talk about because you're focused on either the hostages that Hamas brutally took that are still in Gaza or you're focused on wiping Hamas out because of the grisly barbaric terror attacks that happened last Saturday, I understand that. But if we're going to talk about it, we have to talk about it in a holistic way. And we can't be afraid to talk about it because I'll give you an example of something. This is not like, this has never happened before. What we were afraid to talk about for a long time was whether or not it made sense to go into Iraq after 9-11. But we are afraid to talk about because we didn't want to, we didn't want to, we we were uncomfortable talking about 9-11. So that made us uncomfortable questioning our government's response to it. Mm-hmm. Right? And what that ended up costing was almost immeasurable. A decade in the region, creating a new 
terrorist organization in the region, just not being buttoned up, people, drones, civilian lives lost. So mm-hmm. our inability to confront that moment in a way that, to me, uh, dealt with the reality of American power and responsibility in the region cost a lot, not just for the people in that region, but for us. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to talk about it, essentially, because we didn't want to talk about 9-11. 9-11 happened. And because 9-11 happened, we decided, okay, well, we're going to go get the bad guys. Well, how? Where they are? How are they there? What does it mean to go get them? What's our plan? What's mission accomplishment in getting them? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to get out? All of that stuff. All of that stuff should have been considered. And to be honest with you, we were sort of told in various different lies about why we were doing what we were doing, but we didn't even question the lies because we felt emotionally connected to the event that precluded everything that happened. America isn't directly involved in this right here, depending on who you ask, I would say they are. We are. But to anybody that wants to actually have a conversation about what's going on, you have to be willing to talk about it in a holistic and contextual way. And that does mean the history of the people in Gaza and the West Bank. Absolutely. That does mean the Palestinian fight for freedom. That does mean the, the state of Israel and its right to exist. It means all of that stuff. And if you, and if, and if you, and I personally believe that we have to talk about that now. I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> um, I completely agree with you because some of the conversations that I've been having with people have been very honest in the sense that when this happened, um, October 6th, when this happened, they immediately were posting, I stand with Israel. They were posting things that were very pro-Israel. Part of that is because Israelis were a surprise attack. It was a terrorist act. It was the president of the United States saying we stand with Israel and it was a lack of knowledge about the history of what has happened in that region for such a long time. And I've had friends say once they started educating themselves, they realized that, okay, it's not as as black and white as I thought. This didn't just happen this weekend. This goes way back. And I think that that's why you have to contextualize it and talk about it in a certain way because, and talking about it in not a certain way, in his, a historic way, because you need to understand how we got here. And something that you've said is a pattern that doesn't just happen here, happens there, happens all over, where governments and even history, the history that is written, lies to us about why we're doing something or what it is that we're doing. And I saw a video, Brian showed it to me, of a Jewish uh, man speaking and saying how he was taught from Israel, how he was taught a different version of how they got to where they are in Israel, how they created their country and how the Palestinians moved to the West Bank and to Gaza. Had a totally different history. It reminds me of growing up in here and reading our history books about the story of Native Americans. You know, we were told, oh, the settlers came here and they were friends and they shared food and not how they were viciously attacking them. And we, we didn't hear those stories. 
And I feel like that's a pattern that happens where we are lied to about the reasons as to how something happens. And then it creates this divide as well because you're taught this and you're having to unlearn all the things that you've been taught for such a long time. Um, Can I say something about that real mm -hmm, quick? mm -hmm. That's true. And we were taught that as kids, everybody was together. They made a meal and then things were cool. You get to a point I did, I'm sure everybody else did, when you ask yourself, does that make sense? No. Pe- people don't do that, man. I, I I'm telling it. you they don't. I, I get it. I, I get it. I get that they don't. But as a rational person, 25 million Native Americans above the Rio Grande before the white man sets foot They're on not the American that. mainland. 25 million, right? Conservative estimate, probably more couple hundred thousand left. Does it make sense that they just went, ah, fuck it. I mean, you, you know what I mean? And, and so, and, and, and there is a part of this, <laughs> there is a part of this, and this is, the, this is and we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast, there's a part of this where you have to challenge yourself to want to know more. Exactly. Yeah. But how many times have people flipped on over the years? Two years ago, we talked about conflicts between Israel and um, Palestinians. How often do people see stuff on the news about things that are happening in the Middle East and change the channel? There's not the desire or the curiosity to understand what happened and why it happened. Some people just take things things at face value for what they are. Um, So it's funny, this is like the reverse of the sexy red argument that we're doing. (laughs) My, my, my friend is this. I know this person. My president said this, so it must be true, rather than going out and seeking that information for yourself. Um, it's interesting, though, when you, you, you set the key question that I've been thinking about constantly. When is it okay to have the, those conversations in light of the terrorist attack that happened, in light of people having and rightfully so, strong emotions about what happens to their people and what has been happening to their people over the years, decades. Um, When is it okay to say, we need to talk about this in a bigger way and not just from an emotional place? I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, finish. No, and I, I have been, I've been hesitant and from the very first podcast we talked about it, I was afraid to talk because I didn't know, is it time yet to talk about the history of this? And am I being insensitive by acknowledging the pain that my Jewish Israeli friends feel about the surprise attack that happened to so many people? I have a friend who is continuously posting who lost both two of his cousins and his cousin's fiance just found out 24 hours ago that the third cousin passed away from the festival. And it's like, when, at what point... You don't talk to them about it. No, and I'm not. But, so, I, but I'm but, just... But, but if, if we're having a larger conversation yeah. about what the answers are, we got to get to it. We, you, when somebody is grieving, look, we've been through this. When somebody is grieving, when somebody is not available for that type of conversation, you don't have it with them. Right, that's more clear. Right. But the people who are feeling it, who are angry, who are outraged. I've been surprised at some of the social media posts that I've seen. Um, there's a lot of anger and I and I understand it. Mm-hmm. So at what point can you have those conversations? I'm not talking about the person who's the friend that I'm referring to who is has been directly impacted. I'm talking about this, the people who are of that 
dis, um, ethnicity, come from that heritage who, you know, what, when is that okay? That's what I've been struggling with. And yeah. I think it's interesting to see how the narrative has changed with Western media. When we first talked about this last week, nothing was being said in Western media about the Palestinian struggle. It was all, I stand it's with- still- really no, no, skewed. No, I'm, I'm just saying and nothing. I would just, be, I would just be honest right now. I think the big heavy hitters in American media are doing a putrid job. I don't want to make it seem like, I agree with you. I just, I don't want to make it seem, I, I'm only going to interrupt you because I don't want to make it seem like I am okay with the coverage that there is. I am just saying that as I've been watching it, it there was nothing in regards to the the civilians who are being innocently placed in this, whether you want to blame Hamas, you want to blame, blame the Israeli government, you, they were not talking about that. They weren't talking about the history. They weren't talking about apartheid. They weren't talking about genocide. Nothing. Everything was commending the president for what he said, for taking a bold stance. Nobody was talking about the president, lack, talking about lack of restraint, talking about the people caught in the middle. There was nothing. Now... Even on opinion shows, I'm starting to see people say, well, we need to, you know, talk about the innocent lives in between. And, and that's as far as it's going. Mm -hmm. to, so, so I am not commending them. But as far as I'm seeing, it's still skewed towards that. But they're acknowledging the fact that there are innocent people caught in the middle. And I'm more so saying it because you said it's time to talk about it. And I agree. It was time to talk about it last week. And we shouldn't have been afraid to talk about it, acknowledging pain, oh, yeah. acknowledging, con condemning it. And I'm more so talking to myself. We should have been talking about it. And it makes me think of a quote. We should have been talking about it, not just last week. We should have been but talking about it constantly. last month, last year. Absolutely. We should have been talking about it when Absolutely. new laws were passed in 2018 in Israel that uh, sort of uh, codified racist and nationalist beliefs there. We should have been talking, we should have been talking about the plight of the Palestinian people and a path forward to peace there. Sure. It's something that we should be talking about all the time. Yeah. Because I'll say this, the huge numbers, gigantic numbers of my Jewish friends, my Jewish friends are caught in this almost impossible situation right now where they vehemently believe in sovereignty and freedom for the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. Vehemently believe in that. Mm -hmm. And are anti-Netanyahu. But they're not going to be able to remove themselves from the emotional and political belief right now that Israel is under attack from a group that doesn't think that Israel should exist. Yeah. And they are at cross purposes with their political beliefs and their beliefs, their beliefs in the human community and what it is that they're feeling and how they should react to what happened. Absolutely. Right? And for anyone who doesn't believe in collective punishment of the Palestinian people, for people who that believe a Palestinian life means as much as an Israeli life, you have got to, at this point, be willing to stand in the gap and have that conversation or else you're given a blank check to a superior military force to kill indiscriminately. Yeah. I'll say something else, just to address our last episode that we had on here. We're going to get to some of the news from this. I want people to know, just so you know, 
the last episode that we did with Yair, Shibley, and Daniela, what it was our stated purpose to do was to have an Arab voice, Shibley, a Jewish voice, Yair, and then the Daniela conversation was much more about domestic relations between black people and Jewish people sure. surrounding what happened. It wasn't directly about what was going on. We were having her on to deal with this underlying belief that in some way black people aren't showing up for the Ju the Jewish community or just to be quite honest with you, owe the Jewish community some sort of support for whatever's been going on, the history between us and all of that. And we wanted to have an open, honest conversation about that. And we thought that we did. So it wasn't two to one or anything like that. It was two people that we talked to and then somebody else that we almost talked to on a separate issue. And maybe we should have saved it for a different show, but it wasn't our intention to, to have the voices in the show be outnumbered. Because people didn't, a lot of complaints that I saw and I would confront them, I would say, which part actually were you disappointed by? Which part actually offended you? They didn't listen. They just Googled the names and saw that what they were, you know, that they were Jewish or that there wasn't a Palestinian voice. And that was the complaint that people thought that we gave voice to because we had two people of Jewish descent on our podcast. That's what was happening. Oh, they look, weren't listening. It's okay for people to be disappointed. No, look, no, no, I, no. I, you know, remember people were, when, when I said the whole mom sucking dick thing, it's okay for people okay, to be disappointed. I'm just saying, it's like, be disappointed. I don't give a but fuck about you being disappointed. But I was curious as to I owe the audience. I The audience is very hard on us, and rightly so. Rightly right. so. They should, you don't, you don't think rightly so, Rachel? In some ways, yeah. Right, rightly so. Hey, keep us on our P's and Q's. Sure. Keep us on our square. I had to put our, my arms around my people, my thought words, and go, this is what the thinking was. This is what the thought was. All right. And people, people, some people got it and some people, like, it wasn't, whatever, I'm not even going to get into that. Um, something that you said, oh, when I was talking about the way that Western media, or the lack thereof is covering it, and they're just now starting to do the bare minimum of even acknowledging innocent civilians. I was listening to a podcast on the way here. It was the voices from Gaza. I'm, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry talking about it. It was gut-wrenching. They were literally on the phone with people that are trapped in Gaza who were seeing rockets fly over, uh, were seeing rockets fly over their head. You could hear the panic in their voice as they were seeing red lights in the sky, trapped in their homes. At one point, the reporter says, says to them, um, what, why haven't you evacuated? One person said they didn't know that there was a, a mandate to evacuate. The mm. news isn't getting to them. One person was saying that, which they said, where do I go? Where, where am I supposed to go? They're talking about the smells. They're talking about how they turn on the faucet and there's no water. They're talking about 70 people living in a home, elderly, children. They're talking about children being in cars, hanging outside, stuffed in trunks, just trying to run and get away. It's inhumane. And it made me think of this quote that Nietzsche or Nietzsche, however you say it, said that whoever fights monsters should see it, see to it that in the process they don't become a monster. When you hear the Israeli defense minister refer to Palestinians in general, 
as animals, when you see the way that they talk about how they want to completely obliterate Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, it's inhumane. You're becoming monsters and you have to talk about it. And that's why it goes to what we were saying about we should have talked about it last week because what's happening is it's turning people into monsters. You're becoming the monster. The very thing that you're fighting against, you're becoming that. And when you talk about the way or the lack, of, I was going to say the way these people are living, but the lack thereof, it's it should rip your heart out. And there has to be a voice speaking to it. I challenge everybody to go listen to this podcast. It's The Daily. It's called Voices from Gaza. I couldn't even finish listening to it, talking about or listening to people, the fear coming through their voices, the panic, because, and they're innocent in all of this, talking about the death, talking about having to use dresses to cover up bodies of children, clothes to cover it up. It's, and it's only going to get worse. Hmm. It's only going to get worse. I promised myself I wouldn't cry on the podcast, but I don't understand how you can talk about it and not. And I'm not saying this to not be emotional about the lives that were lost and our law continuing to be lost. Thank you for the tissue. Continuing to be lost on the Jewish side of it as well. But people aren't speaking to what's happening in Gaza in mm-hmm. the same way. And it was the first time that I heard it. In the mainstream. In the mainstream. And it was the first time that I heard it that I was like, more needs to be shown towards this. We can't be afraid to talk about the other side of it because people are suffering. Mm-hmm. We can't become the monsters in and all have of this. been suffering. And have been suffering. We can't become the monsters. And I think that leads to what's happening right now in the state, in in the United States, as people are continuing to watch watch Western media, becoming becoming outraged by what they're seeing and are acting on that outrage. Uh, There was an anti-Muslim attack in Illinois. A 71-year-old man named Joseph Zuba. Can't pronounce his last name. Um stabbing a boy and seriously injuring a woman because of their Islamist faith. Islamic faith. Um, Both victims were found with multiple stab wounds to their chest, torso, and upper extremities inside a residence in Plainsville Township, Chicago. The woman was transported to the hospital in serious condition. A dozen stab wounds to her body and is expected to survive. The boy was pronounced dead at the hospital. An autopsy found the boy was stabbed 26 times. They had been renting a floor in this man's house for two years without any incident. Um, This is according to the Chicago office of the Council of American Islamic Relations. Reportedly on Saturday morning, Zuba knocked on their door and once the mother opened it, he tried to choke her and proceeded to attack her with a knife yelling, you Muslims must die. When she ran to the bathroom to call 911, she came out to find that he had stabbed her six-year-old son to death. A day prior to this, the FBI warned its law enforcement partners of a rise in terror threats in the, in the U.S. as the Israel-Hamas war rages. So we're going to see that uh, both communities here are going to be in increased danger. We've seen that this has taken another life, a six-year-old child. Um, and you wonder what happens next? You wonder who gets hurt that doesn't even live in the region, isn't directly involved. You wonder what happens next. And this is the reason why there is a responsibility 
for people with voices to have conversations about this that are nourishing, mm-hmm. that take into consideration people's humanity, and that are politically honest, geopolitically honest, culturally honest about what's going on. And if they're hard, they're hard. Have them. But even a conversation shows unity. Even the ability to have two people sit down and have a conversation about it in a rational, fiery, whatever way shows unity. It shows that you're at least willing to talk to somebody. Anyone that you're willing to talk to, anytime you're willing to have a conversation, you're confronting somebody else's humanity. You're accepting somebody else's humanity. Yeah, Rachel, what you just did a second ago might be the finest moment in the history of this podcast. It almost certainly is. It almost certainly is. That takes an incredible amount of courage, but also caring, but also your ability to dive into this and challenge yourself to hear perspectives and get into somebody else's experience. I'm challenging everyone that listens to this to do this with everything that's out there. Watch videos from the kibbutz when Hamas went in there and slaughtered everyone. Way to a car came out and slaughtered everyone. Understand that. Watch people in Palestine right now who have nowhere to go, who have nothing, who've lost their homes, who've lost their families, who are essentially, right now, if nobody calls the international community into account to help them, going to be exterminated, reoccupied, and dehumanized with absolutely no pushback from all these other governments that could have something to say. Your silence, holding on to whatever relationships that you have, it's not going to help the situation. It's only going to cover up war crimes. Here's stateside again, MSNBC. This is not in any way to come directly at MSNBC. We have people on MSNBC that we care very much about. Simone Sanders, Joanne Reed, all of these people, Chris Hayes is cool. All of these people on MSNBC. But I'll say right now, that MSNBC is full of bullshit. There's reported right now that three of the most prominent voices on MSNBC, Mehdi Hassan, Amy Mohedin, and Ali Velshi, three Muslim voices, three Muslim Arab voices off of the network's coverage. And the question is why? Is the answer because these three gentlemen who are very prominent voices on on the the network and have given some really amazing context to what's happening, the history of it, the present of it, and the potential future of it is because they are not fitting into the network's scripted narrative of how things are supposed to be going. Is it too triggering to Americans to hear the voices of Muslim people at this time? If, in fact, these men have been strategically and purposefully moved from their stations, which it doesn't really seem seem uh, controversial that they have been. It seems pretty obvious that they have been. The question is, why would you do that at a time like this? It seems like at a time like this, you would want to have as much education and context right. on this as possible. And this is what we're talking about. This doesn't really get us anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that NBC says the shifts are coincidental and that 
the three those three on air um, talents continue to appear on air to report and provide analysis. That's what they're saying, but. The fact that they were supposed to, one was supposed to fill in for Joy Reid, which a big show that people watch or host other shows there are, that the timing seems to be off at a time, as you pointed out, when their voices are so necessary, seems too much of a coincidence. And I don't know if I really believe in coincidences like that, uh, but it's odd for MSNBC to be s- allegedly the progressive news station to do that when your audience that's watching it I wouldn't think that that would be the audience that would be offended. I don't know. Or no one should be offended, but you know what I'm saying with that. It's just odd that they would do that. And especially to me, it seems, I know they say they deny that that's the case, but it seems to be very obvious. And when you first sent this story, I was like, are they that stupid? By the way, let me tell you something. I don't think that most progressives would consider MSNBC to be a progressive network. I think I M- think it's it's perceived as the- perceived, it perceived as a network for the Democrats. Yes, but probably the corporate wing of the Democratic Party, which is going to, in this particular situation, double down on its support for America's relationship with Correct. Israel, no matter what. But I mean, per- perception-wise, when you compare it to Fox, CNN, MSNBC. Out of those, it's considered when you're talking right. about mainstream news stations. That's what I'm saying. Um, right. By the way, I, I will I'll tell somebody this. I'm not telling people that they should consume pro-Palestinian news sources. What I'm telling people is that there are people out here that are covering this in the way that I think that it should be covered. I'll go back to Channel 4 News. They're just doing a fucking fantastic job. Al Jazeera as well. Yeah. So Mark Lamont Hill did interviews with both yeah. a Hamas official and somebody that represented Israel. And when you watch the interview, shout out to Mark Lamont Hill, you watch an interview done the way it's supposed to be done. It's Mark Lamont Hill up front on Al Jazeera. Mm-hmm. You watch him question the Israeli representative on the use of collective punishment, where the people are supposed to go. And then you watch him question the Hamas leadership on their tactic of targeting innocent civilians yeah. in their, uh, their their terrorist attack. Because you listen to him fluster both guys and you realize the gulf of humanity that exists there. And it makes you ask yourself, well, what do I want to believe? What do I want to be in that moment? And really, when you're looking at it, you don't want to be either of those guys. Yeah. You just don't want to be them. So, you know, the the criticism for me when it comes to MSNBC, CNN, and Fox is that they're not doing a good enough job calling balls and strikes here. They're not doing a good enough job of giving the actual situation. Sure that I feel like people need to understand. Well, they're not speaking about it in its entirety. It's very one-sided. And that coupled with what seems to be the removal of Muslim American hosts adds to it. And my response was what I was saying when you first sent this. I was like, how stupid are they? This is, I mean, if this is true, this is easily grounds, like easy way to show grounds for discrimination. Easily. Mm. So I, I just don't understand why MSNBC would put that out there 
or even the perception out there. They better get these hosts back, not just for representation purposes, but because they are so knowledgeable and well-informed. Because you need to hear from them. Exactly. That's why they should be out there. We should have these voices and their presence out there. This is ridiculous. They have exactly what they need, which is people that are hyper-knowledgeable about the situation Mm -hmm. and have a cultural and political context that they can put it in at their disposal. They need them there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. Uh. Look, we'll have more about this. It's the biggest story in the world. We're not going to not be able to cover it. Uh. And we hope that as you guys listen to us, we really hope that as you guys listen to us, um, you understand that as much as we know, there are things that we're still learning, and we are challenging the audience, as well as us, to keep our eyes on the world that we want to live in. We're doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right. Jada Pinkett Smith. Donnie, give me the audio. If you find another great love or if Will finds another great love. There's no finding another great love. And I think that's the point. It's like we are in a place now that we are in a deep healing space. And we are really concentrating on healing the relationship between us. So it may not be the divorce on paper anymore? There's no divorce on paper. I mean, not on paper. There might not be a divorce in theory anymore? Yeah, no. We really have been working hard. Oh. See? Okay. Well, I didn't know that. I was trying to think. Well, I... Wait, wait, wait. So wait, just so I'm 100% clear, you were divorced, not on paper, but now we might be a point where we're back together. We are working very hard at bringing our relationship, yes, bringing our relationship together. Back to a marriage again. Back to a life partnership. Yes, because here's the thing about husband, wife, marriage for me, for my healing process. I came into that with very specific ideas, right? Very specific ideas that were blocks to me just seeing yeah. Will as who he is. Yeah. He can't be this perfect, idealized yeah. husband. Yes. Yes, of course I not. have to be able to accept him for the human that he is. He yes, accepts me you. for the human that I am. And we want to love each other there. Okay. There you go. Are we being unfair to Jada? I'm sure we are. But when you write a book and you, you know, express certain things, details about your life and your relationships, it opens you up to criticism and for people to have their opinion, good and bad, about the things that you've said. And they're coupling those opinions with other things that you've said in the media or certain behaviors that they've seen over the past. And they have formed an opinion when it comes to Jada Pinkett Smith. And they're also comparing to the way 
what you're doing versus what Will is or is not doing. Mm. Are we being unfair in some ways? Sure. You know, I could easily get stand up and say, you know, when it comes to black women, you know, we're usually treated like they don't take our word. And I'm and 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 you know, you know what's interesting, actually? I was gonna say, I'm constantly talked about how I never give black men the benefit um of the doubt when it comes to things Thanks. on this show. It's true. And I'm always going to blindly support black women no matter That's, what. It's true. Yet I have been critical of Jada Pinkett Smith. Nobody's saying anything of that. I've been annoyed. Well, you want it's, credit? Well, I'm just saying, I'm always accused of being one way. Yeah. And then when I'm doing this, it's like, oh. So you're you know, using I'm, Jada to get back in good with black men? <laughs> no. I think I'm doing just fine. I don't, I'm, I don't think... Yeah, I think oh, I'm doing just fine. With I, think, black I don't men. know if you think you're doing just fine because you're... No, I'm you're saying at, that's what people accuse me of. But I've been critical about Jada. I just... I've said I don't... I, I said I don't believe her. I said I, it seems performative in certain <laughs> certain things. And this clip that you just played plays into that to me. I Interesting. It's interesting to me that Jada's like, that's what I was trying to tell you, Hoda. That's what I was trying. You did a whole sit down with Hoda. Y'all went back to Baltimore, walked around your neighborhood. And Hoda even seemed to be confused on the current status of your relationship with Will. Even use the words divorce. And moving on to finding somebody else. And Jada's like, that's not what I said, what I was trying to tell you. But you didn't tell Hoda that. It's There seems to be a little bit, and I'm not denying, maybe she and Will are, were, I'll take her word for that, right? Uh-huh. Maybe she and Will are working out their relationship and trying to figure out where they go from here. But that ain't the interview you gave Hoda mm. for the exclusive. Mm. That's not what you said. Yeah. That wasn't clear. And maybe that wasn't clear so you could get people talking, trying to sell the book. But it's a different narrative than what we heard the first time. I'm sorry. And this is why people have a hard time, you know, taking in the things that Jade is giving us. No, the interesting thing about being with somebody for like a long time. What? Is that there's this myth. And maybe I've said this on the podcast before. There's this myth that you're in love with someone every second of the day that you're with them. I don't think that's a, that's people believe that anymore. I think that they still do. I think that people believe, mm, yeah. I think people still believe that whenever you're with someone, you're in love with them. And the fact of the matter is, is that you fall in and out of love with someone during the time that you're with them. The reality True. is, is that it is the bond, the structure that you build with them that keeps you there in the times where the actual feeling is lean. You might love them, but the act of being in love with them, that might wane, come, go, whatever. But there's structures, there's a foundation, there's a relationship, there's a shared life that you've invested into. And if the investment has been equal by both people, then that is the part of the relationship that keeps it going. By the way, that's not just with people that you're in a relationship romantically with, right? That's with like friends. With friends, friends will sometimes get the wrong spouse. Sometimes they'll make a life decision. Sometimes you'll be in a spot with a friend to where you're like, 
I right now cannot fuck with you. But what keeps the friendship set is the past that you have together, the understanding of the person's life that you have together, and what you've been through and what you mean to one another. Even if right now you're looking at somebody and going, that's not the same relationship we had in 2009, 2010, 2011, whatever. All it ever takes is a flicker, a conversation, a hug or whatever. And you guys are right back where you were because the foundation of what sure. you've been means so much. When I look at this, I don't look at anything that's like really out of the ordinary for Jada and Will, except for the fact that they're super Hollywood which means when they go out and start fucking all over the town and stuff, people are going to know about it. The only thing I would say is about the Jada situation, and I'm here for the conversation that maybe we're being unfair to her. I'm here for the conversation that Will said that he fantasized about all of these women, and we know Will didn't got his dip wet other places and all of that stuff, and we don't talk about it in the same way. I'm here for all of that. The only thing I don't understand about Jada in this recent round of assault from the Smith relationship is two things. One, the Tupac thing. I just don't get it. I don't get the Tupac thing. I I, don't either. She loved Tupac and it's the love that they shared was so awesome and amazing. But I feel like we got to chill. Kadada Jones doesn't talk about Tupac as much as as, as Jada does. Like I feel like it's... I don't get that. I really don't get that. As, as After a while, if it were me, I'd be like, all right, you know, I'm a cool, secure nigga, but shit, nigga. Anybody Fuck. would. You know what I mean? Like, I, that would be a thing. The other thing is this. There's one thing that really specifically bothered me in this case. When she said, you know, I was surprised to hear him call me his wife when he went on stage and smacked Chris Rock. Now, I want to be clear. Jada Pinkett Smith didn't put a will in Will's back to go up there and smack Chris Rock. Will is a grown-ass 53, 54-year-old man. And if he wanted to go up there and smack Chris Rock because he said something about his wife or roommate or whatever, then that was on Will Smith. Saying that, though, is an emotional detachment from what happened, right? It's an emotional detachment. If someone talks shit about you and then I come out on your behalf, mm-hmm. whether I go too far, not far enough, or whatever, the way what I'm doing is showing an emotional allegiance to you. Yeah. Even if I don't do it right. Yes. The only way for you to emotionally detach me from what I've done and make me look like a fool is to be like, well, shit. We weren't even that cool. We not yet. We not. We shit. I, I I didn't know that nigga had it for me like that. You know what I'm saying? I know that was a shit. That's, that's not that big of a deal to me. I, that, you know, just I don't know why when when it looks like she's trying to put Will on an island by himself. Which, by the way, he was right there with the rest of his family celebrating her book release. They seem to be doing fine. It's us that seem to be more frustrated with this than. The, the Smith family, that I don't get. I don't get why that would be need to would need to be said because I saw women all over the place that were like, yeah, I would expect him to smack Chris Rock if Chris Rock had said something like that about me. I would expect my man to do that. There is sometimes where 
when you're looking at some of the other criticisms, it's like, well, why don't you stand up for somebody in this situation? Why don't you stand up for somebody in this situation? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Like, we want people to do all of these things. And, and that was such an example for some people, for some people of Will doing that. And then she just completely misread the room and saying, well, shit. I was actually surprised. That wasn't my shit. You know what I mean? And so that bothered me. And it should. <laughs> A couple of things about what you said. I think that is the main issue that people have with Jada. And what and the clip that we just played is in stark contrast to what the J, what Jada has been giving us. She constantly seems to undercut her relationship with Will Smith and undercut him. The Chris, uh, you know, the, the I wasn't his wife and that took me by surprise. That's what you deduce from that situation? Or constantly referencing your old love, your soulmate, is such a disrespectful thing to a current relationship, especially if y'all are trying to work it out. That it, it, I was about to use the word Stephen A. Smith said, but it does have something. What Smith he say? said she emasculated him. Oh, I don't, you know. But I, I, was, but I will I say that if you're constantly talking about your past love and, and, and idolizing him in a certain way, that does make a, like, a significant other feel less than. That is very true. So then to hear Jada constantly speak in that way of her relationship and to jump to... No, we're trying to work on it. No, there's ne we're never considered, you know, divorce or who the next person is. It's it's about us. It's like, well, which one is it, Jada? And as you pointed out, there's a video of her celebrating with her family, including Will Smith, about the release of her book. But she knows the inner workings of her relationship. We can only take what you give us, what we see. And that's why it's hard for people to reconcile both. And I will say to your point about I disagree with you. I agree with you on the, the latter part of what you were saying, but the former part in regards to people fall in and out of love, I don't believe that. I believe people fall in and out of like. And, nah. I, and I do, and I believe that we were, See? we were, when we were growing up, we were given a fairy tale of this is what love is. And it's always this beautiful feeling. And you weren't taught about the work that it takes. You always to love somebody. You loving, might not always be in love with them. You don't, might not always like them. No. I, I've, I, whatever. I've, we're saying the same thing in different wrong, ways. But my wrong, point wrong. being is that we were taught to glamorize you love and not lessons. taught about the work that it takes to really make these long relationships work and continue to work. You made me forget my thought though when you just said that, oh, there's a quote in Sex in the City, in the movie, you like Sex in the City. Written by a man who, in the movie, who wrote women's characters, by the in way. The I movie, can't believe that you guys fell for that. In the movie, um, I think it's Samantha talking to Charlotte and she's talking about, you know, her relationship with Harry and she's like, well, do you love him? Um, are you always in love with him? And she, or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, so don't come at me. And she says something along the lines of, I don't love him in every moment of the day, but at the end of every day, I love him. Nah, and I thought that that was a nice way of saying, it. you're not going to like the things that your significant nah. other does every day, every Sometimes week, every month. Sometimes you might go a couple weeks, but a couple months. You love them. A year, two years. Okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you, you, you never know. This is, this is what I've been told by the old, the old women. Yeah, you don't like them all the time, but you do love them at the end of the day at the end of every day. There's a new way to, to find missing black kids and it's very important. 
And I want to show people right now proof that there's just no way we just have to have our own shit. Just have to have our own shit. It's just we have to have our own stuff. California has enacted an ebony alert. It's a system for black women and children to find them. California has officially enacted a new law to create an ebony alert system for the state. The new system will disseminate alerts and mobilize resources to find missing black women and youth. While the new law is designed to help overcome racial disparities, critics have already mocked the law as unnecessary or accused it of being reverse racism. I don't give a fuck about all of that. I'll just be honest with you. I think this is weird. And I don't know why. It just doesn't feel... Of course it doesn't feel right. It is weird. It's, it, this is weird. It's not weird. the name. It's not even just the name, right? Because we, we know that statistics show that black children go missing at disproportionately high rates. I get it. This is odd. The intention is there. I'm not going to knock the person who proposed this. I'm not going to knock Gavin Newsom for signing it. However, the issue is that you're not finding, you're not even, you're not acknowledging we're missing and then you're not finding us. That's the issue. So creating an ebony alert, differentiating, hey guys, it's not just a child is missing. It's a black child. I guess guess the intention is that it's supposed to highlight it more, but how about when you do an Amber Alert, we all pay attention to that. And there's descriptions in the Amber Alert. So just include us in the Amber Alert. Amber alert. Is, is having an Ebony Alert going to acknowledge the fact that, is that going to make you not turn away that Black mother, Black father who says, hey, my child is missing? Is that going to fix that initial contact with the with law enforcement? Are you going to acknowledge and now say, hey, we're not going to excuse it. Oh, your child may come back or, oh, this statistically happened. No, you're going to say our child is missing. Put out the Amber Alert. I don't think an Ebony Alert is going to solve that. And also, and also, can't this just make people differentiate between I missing children say, I don't, and not and, and say like, oh, well, shit, it's an Ebony Alert. I ain't that's my attention problem. to that. My problem <laughs> with it is, this is so <laughs> sad, y'all. My problem with it is, I, I don't have enough faith. I thought it too. I could see, I could see a bunch of police they eating donuts. They having a fun time. Amber Alert. Jesus Christ. Rogers. Smith. Johnson. We got to get on the move. There's a child that needs our help. And then I can see an Ebony Alert coming through. I don't know. Maybe when the Ebony Alert comes through your phone, maybe it'll be like the gin and juice beat or something like that. It won't be like the... Because the Amber Alert is... But when the Ebony Alert comes through, maybe it'll be like... And they're like, they look up. Uh, Ebony Alert. Okay. We can finish our donuts and maybe we'll get out on the streets. I don't have faith in the country that cares much about black kids, especially when they know. Really, every kid in America, when it's an Amber Alert, should be Janie, Tommy, or Michael. Every kid should have the same name. It should be Michael Williamson Smith or something like that. To me, because I don't, I think that no. the fixation on the Ebony Alert will actually hurt yeah, I think more than help. I think, I think that as well. Just acknowledge that we're missing, guys, and then seek to find us. Recognize that there are just do the regular shit children. that you're supposed to do at your job. 
I, we keep we're having this conversation over. The police, <laughs> police. It, it just go find missing children. That's it. Recognize. Just go them find missing. missing children. Don't. Is that what? Is that the thing? Just find missing kids. Well, they've got to recognize that they're missing. That's the issue. They're not recognizing that black children are missing. Then you have to realize they're missing and then go find them. That's the issue. Um, but the Ebony Alert passed. He signed it. He signed it. So pretty soon we will be getting, despite our disagreement with the fact that this should even be, they should differentiate between different type of alerts. It's happening. So we will be getting Ebony Alerts on our phone. Yeah, because that's the kind of shit that we get. But, if, but now, if we don't get Ebony Alerts, I'm going to be like, I know black children are missing. Why are we not getting Ebony Alerts? Do you see what I'm saying? This is just a weird, this is weird. Now I'm going to expect to getting it. Like, why am I only getting Amber Alerts? Where are the Ebony Alerts? This is weird. It's a weird thing. Rachel, are you okay? You cried earlier. Your, your, whole, your whole face was I, running. I, <laughs> it's, it's not about me. I know. I just, it's, just it's not. It's about, you, I, here, it's about you, you here at Higher Learning. It's about it's, you here. I just, I'm just sad. It's a sad time. You know, this is the, the time we're in right now. Everything sucks, right? Yeah. You know, I just want everybody to realize if you have something in your life that makes you happy, it doesn't matter what it is. If you like going to the beach, if you like playing basketball, if you like your dog, if you like watching your show, it doesn't matter what it is. If you like watching Baddies East, <laughs> if that makes you laugh, if that makes you smile, whoever in life makes you laugh, makes you smile, makes you feel good, give yourself permission to pour into that. Yeah. Take that extra hour to play Madden. Take that extra hour to drink a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> Live a little bit. Have an extra piece of bacon. Have an extra <laughs> half of the donut. You know what I mean? Wh whatever it is, because I'm telling you right now, we're in this weird moment of suck and it's hard. The fucking shows that are coming out are kind of boring. The music that's coming out is a little bit whack. The news is putrid. The fucking NFL football, which we shouldn't be watching it in the first place, is a little bit bad. Like, we're in this moment where almost everything feels like it's a little draining and not super awesome. Draining's the word, yeah. We haven't recovered from this funeral feeling that the, the pandemic thrust upon us. We can't get our shit back. The, 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 it, the food is expensive. The fucking... Uh, interest rates are high. Strikes are happening. Strikes are happening. <laughs> Wages are not rising, but costs are going up. We're at an inflection point to where we're stressed out. Yeah. So everybody, if you're going to continue to fight this society that seems to be sucking the life out of regular people, like an anaconda just squeezing the life out of them. Squeezing the life out of them. You're going to have to find some stuff that makes you happy. So I challenge you guys to take breaks, to find stuff that you like, and to continue to conserve your spirit. Mm -hmm. Because the world's going to change one way or the other. All right. Take thing caps off. Do not stop learning. I'm Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Happy birthday to the judge. Oh! 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 Get him on the phone. Should I call him? We'll see. You know he's at work. 
I would like to think that the judge is taking the time right now for making a federal choice. <laughs> for sentencing? Yeah. Or maybe he's out to lunch. Maybe he took the day off. Maybe the judge is doing something he likes. Okay, Billy Rach, I'm ready to roll. I'm on the bench. <laughs> okay, okay, Van and I just want to tell you happy, happy birthday. birthday. Who did? Van. Van. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I'm, I appreciate that. Where's Mr. Van? He's right um, here. Happy birthday, Judge Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. I really do. I'm about ready to go on the bench, but I'll wait. I'll wait and take that congratulatory message anytime. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> happy birthday. Bye. Happy birthday. I'll call you later. All right. Well, y'all take care now. <laughs> All right. You Bye. too. He's in formal mode. He's on his way to send. That's his birthday presents. Take me guys off the outside learning. I'm Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys. Peace, brother. Oh, here come the judge. Here come the judge. Everybody knows.